to the Learning 3.0 podcast. I'm Rustika Lamb from Bloom, and in each episode, I chat to learning and technology thought leaders and how to support business performance through people performance. In this episode, I interview Dr. Sydney Savion, Chief Learning Officer and GM Learning at the iconic Air New Zealand, and the architect for the learning revolution. I always enjoy our conversations because she's always about business impact and data first, and how training, learning, and technology enable personal and business performance. Listen out for the chasm between how we live our digital personal lives and learning at work. Okay, Sydney, welcome to the Learning 3.0 podcast. Thank you, Rustica. Happy to join you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, from post-COVID world, level three, are we level three at two at the moment? Absolutely. And um, it's been really interesting. Like I've seen a lot of parallels between when we went through the economic downturn of 2002 and then 2008. And us Gen Xs are probably, this is our third round of this, right, in terms of what's happening. So I was really interested in your observations of those previous times and what that meant for learning at the time. Sure. I think when I think about it, you know, although I wasn't around for the Great Depression in the 1920s, but what seems to be a trend is that the world economy experiences a recession every, I don't know, 10 to 20 years, I think. And typically that's followed by steady growth, which generally comes in the form of innovation, like a range of innovation. And I can talk about that a little bit later. But from my recollection, as it relates to 2002 and 2008, is there was an always seemed to be an economic justification for learning and development and training was always under scrutiny um, in some form or fashion. And I think the attitude towards all types of training tended to be widespread. And so one of the things I've noted is that in terms of the confidence with respect to training expenditure, there was a complete collapse because most companies just didn't see it as an expenditure that they wanted to continue to invest in when you know, they're reducing their workforce, they're cutting costs. And of course, typically the sentiment is training is not important now. So that's what I can recall from those previous recessions. And I think now it seems to be markedly different than before, mm. in my view. That's right. Because as you say, like the last two were economic, you know, one was the dot-com bubble. And then of course, with the GFC with property and, and what was happening with finances. And this has sort of been more of a health-driven one, although they, I remember listening to Robert Kiyosaki saying, it's coming, it's coming. So maybe it was coming anyway. Maybe it was just sped up. And what are you seeing differently now? Because it is quite different from a learning and development and practitioner point of view and organizations and what they're doing with learning. It's quite interesting. Sure. And what I want to say on the previous question as it relates to what I've seen too, is in the past, I feel like there was more of a pessimistic attitude about learning and development and training because I don't think, again, this notion that the training is business critical, it didn't bubble to the surface because of the types of recessions that 2001 and 2008 represent it. Whereas this one, to your point about health, what I've seen is there's been a um, different attitude, more of an optimistic view about learning and development. And this kind of, um, what would I call it? This siege on technology that will distribute learning, whether it's for corporate 
learning and development or education. You were talking about earlier about your daughter. And also I think about my colleagues who have kids and yeah, they want them to continue their education. And in order to do that, given the school closures, we've had to worldwide really leverage this digital platforms in order to continue the learning and maintain that continuity. So what I've seen this time around is this optimism about technology. Don't get me wrong, I think still underlying is what's core, like from a corporate perspective in terms of learning and development, you still have to look at what's core to the business, whether it's banking or aviation or any kind of industries that are bound by regulatory requirements for training, you still have to keep that training up. And so this idea of using technology to make it happen has been actually For me, it's certainly been a beautiful thing to see. Talk about silver lining. This has been one of those silver linings, I think, for learning and development in the training space. Mm, Because I think initially there was quite, as I would see on LinkedIn, quite a few people saying, oh, I've been made redundant or I've lost my job or, you know, in terms of that, to me, that was maybe a bit short-sighted of organizations because it could have been, as you say, the silver lining to massively refocus L&D people onto business problems. Um, I do worry we're going to go back to, this is how we've always done it. This is that no focus on solving business problems or performance, increasing people's performance to increase business or organizational performance. What are your thoughts around that? Like, so it's, that's, it is more optimistic. I agree with that, possibly because of it, but still people are still you know, reducing their teams, recruitment freezes I'm hearing about. What's that going to look like for practitioners, do you think? I think it just also depends on the industry. What I've seen so far is on some level, there has been more of a focus to using the learning and development function to focus, refocus on cross-skilling within the company. Also leveraging the learning and development function to, as an outreach kind of vehicle with other entities or organizations like universities to help, so with the downsizing and the workforce reductions, to help bridge the gap between the people who are leaving and helping them transition with some new skills by connecting with universities and other organizations that are willing to help. So I feel like learning and development has played a role, in some cases, has played a broker role with the outside world in maintaining that continuity of learning for people who are transitioning from one workplace to another. So I've seen that. What it will look like in the future, I think there will be some of that where now maybe companies will start to look at learning and development in terms of a function, in terms of as a business continuity proposition. Because I'd imagine, at least talking to some of my colleagues, not everyone looked at learning and development as a means of business continuity. It's process, it's, you know, emergency procedures, or it's uh, digital security and things like that. But you wouldn't necessarily see learning and development or training in your business continuity plan as a means to continue to maintain business continuity for the company. And what I've seen now is now they're looking at that learning and development function as more of a strategic Asset. So that's what I'm thinking in the future, that learning, in some cases, maybe not all, because to your point, you'll see on LinkedIn where some companies are not closing the gap in terms of bridging from the workforce reduction to 
helping people do something different where there are some companies that are really doing a good job with that. And I think now some companies will see learning and development function as a strategic asset and a business continuity asset in the event of something else like this. That's Mm. what I think. I never really thought about it like as business continuity, but that's a really good point because it doesn't have to be a pandemic. It could be a change in market forces, could be a new competitor coming into the market. It could be going offshore if you're a tech company. So, you know, it's actually then saying, okay, so from how do we actually use L&D and learning and education to actually make that happen? So, yeah, very interesting. And the same to your point about helping them move out of one industry or business into another is interesting too. So that reskilling seems to be a big part of what I see a lot of L&D teams doing at the moment as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's shining the light. I know in, in some industries, the light is being shined quite brightly on learning and development. And so now to your point is when you're asking this function to get to the core of providing those cross-skilling needs within the company or again, being a broker with the outside entities to help usher your people. So, I mean, I, I have a view on the life cycle of an employee is not just while they're at the company. I think that's why you see a lot of alumni groups on LinkedIn and Facebook, that people are staying connected. And so I think once you've worked somewhere for a while, you still have that connection with the place. And I think some companies are actually trying to be a good steward over that because that's also, I think it's, there's a saying, wherever you go, there you are. I think that's the same thing. So if you've worked at X company and you go somewhere else, what you've learned and what you've been and how that company has shaped you will go along with you. And so I think being a, a good steward over an employee from the time they start at your company to the time they exit your company and how you manage that exit and transition, I think is really important. And I do see in the future that companies will be more of a good steward of the life cycle of not just the, the employee, but the individual. Yeah, exactly. And I think that comes back to the fact this does feel a lot more positive. And I wonder if that's got, you know, the leadership of Jacinta Ardern and she had, talks a lot about kindness, whether or not that's actually infused down into not culture necessarily, because I know that certainly being back in New Zealand with and in Taranaki, we're finding people very friendly compared to the international sort of community in, in Bali. But I don't know. I just wonder how much her leadership of that kindness and care and compassion is actually, that's why possibly it's more positive this time. Hmm, maybe. And I think the general nature of people, because, you know, you have to think it's like when you think about this country and this ecosystem here uh, in New Zealand, it's, and around the world, I think most people realize that it's not anyone's fault. No one here in New Zealand did anything wrong. It's a health pandemic. And the fact that we're kind of all in this together, and it's not like, oh, there's no, that is just this group over there. It's everyone has been impacted by this. And so we now have a shared experience and we all understand what it's like to be in level four lockdown, <laughs> you know, looking at yourself and talking to yourself in the mirror every day or, you know, coming up with creative ways to be in a space and be with your own thoughts every day compared to socializing with multiple people. So I feel like because of the shared experience, I think that takes on maybe this element of empathy, to your point, kindness. Mm-hmm. 
and consideration and this idea of some companies thinking about the life cycle beyond their own company and leaving employee, you know, again, it's like an individual is taking the brand of the company with them wherever they go. Yes. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what do you think is going to emerge next um, in terms of technology, the way organizations operate, the way R&D teams operate? What, what's going to be next, do you think? Pushing the boundaries. I think that what we've seen already, pushing the boundaries of technology because there's a crisis and the demand for it. And I think continuing to accelerate those boundaries. When I think about a lot of the transformation work that's done by many companies in the learning In the learning space, I see that continuing because the value now has been created as evidenced by the ability of a range of of L&D functions being able to pivot towards business critical needs and cross-skilling, cross-training, being a broker, maintaining business continuity. So that's what I see. I also see companies starting to look more diligently at cloud-based platforms. Mm-hmm. These on-premise platforms will not work when you're trying to distribute learning across the globe and it doesn't give you the dynamic features that you need. So I think more cloud-based mobile learning platforms will be top of mind coming out now, not even coming out of this, this crisis now. Is when start. And I think companies will actually start to invest more in that. I mean, mm. that's something that I don't see companies shying away from, especially if they look at learning and development as a business continuity feature. Yes, I really like that. And because we did things so quickly with what has happened, there'll be no more 12-month transformation programs costing millions of dollars, right? Because <laughs> we know it can be done quicker. <laughs> Let's hope not. But yes, I think being able to push. I think also the use of more MOOCs um, uh, LinkedIn learning will probably see an increase in its utilization, just like Microsoft Teams has seen an uptick. All these uh, webinar platforms, Adobe Connect, will see a rise, has seen a rise in its utilization because it mimics an actual classroom with a whiteboard and raising hands and surveys and stuff like that. So I see a lot of the interest and in application of these cloud based platforms continuing through COVID-19 and also a revisiting of strategies around remote work because many companies have seen that, you know what, you still can run your company running pretty good. Yes. I see a lot of flack from sitting in Bali running Bloom and um, people going, oh, is that what you were doing? It's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, yes, that's what I'm <laughs> Oh my goodness. I was really interested in your comment, the value has now been created. Do you want to elaborate on that? Because that's quite a nice concept. I think because oftentimes learning and development, as you well know, is not viewed as a strategic asset. Mm -hmm. It's viewed as a nice to have, which is why I think there was a pessimistic view of it during the previous recessions. And whereas now, the light has been shined on learning and development to help. Like Mm -hmm. it's like a a screen for help by all companies. Mm -hmm. Learning and development, please help us because we still need to distribute learning. And even if it's not learning, you see companies are saying, turning to their L&D functions saying, 
hey, help me run a virtual meeting. Help me collect information. Help me share information. Help me cross-train people into our contact center or call centers. Or, yes. Oh, by the way, you can't come in, so you need to do that virtually. <laughs> I mean, I've also seen where, where learning and development function has been able to take, to your point about strategic projects taken a year, programs for certain function business units that have taken you know weeks or months to train people on when they get trained in two days and still deliver equal to a better value. Mm-hmm. I think companies are getting a glimpse into that learning and development is also an innovation, can be looked at as not only a strategic asset, but an innovation mm. feature along with a business continuity feature. And that's what I mean about the value. I think that given all of these things, it has demonstrated very aptly that it has inherent value. It's used in the right way. Mm, absolutely. And hopefully, fingers crossed now, L&D people will start to see that they need to be performance consulting and not just order takers, right? <laughs> yes. Amen to that. Performance <laughs> and also data-driven. So the other thing that I'm seeing too is, you know, when the business says, you know, when they are starting to downsize and cut costs, well, how much does it cost to run the learning and development function? Where are the expenditures within the learning and development function? Meaning, what are you spending on this business? What are you spending on each of the businesses? And what's the value? How much does it cost to develop this content? How much does it cost to deliver this content? So knowing your financials and your data, hopefully for L&D functions, along with evidence of how people are performing as a result of the learning intervention that the L&D team are delivering is key. I mean, I think that's the key. It's power and data and being able to demonstrate the performance outcomes using data and financials. I feel like that is, that's always been key in my mind, but I think it'll be hopefully, fingers crossed, even more clear. Yes, I hope so too. And and I hope that um, other organizations actually would listen to this and go, oh, actually, that's what we should be doing with our team, not sort of getting rid of them, actually refocusing them into that space. I do have a slight concern. I've talked to you know quite a few people saying, help me get my face-to-face online. And they're sort of just picking up two days and saying, right now we're having it on Zoom. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> that's not what you do. So I think despite having this fantastic technology now available and more of an appetite and acceptance of it, I still think you've still got to have the basics, don't you? Like the the learning design, adult principles, all of that still got to be underlying. You can't just pick it up and put it online. I agree. And hopefully that people are seeing it. And I think, you know, when talking to some of my colleagues and then also in my own experience is people get more of a sense of what it's to your point about taking what was in a classroom and now putting it online as is get a sense of how painful that is. <laughs> classroom for that long now being online mm. and that's possibly where we need to start thinking about experiences and that's often been and you're talking about you know buy local come and experience these things there's this amazing facebook page um that it's basically buy local it's got three hundred thousand likes and users wow. Some of the talent of New Zealand people is just, it's mostly sort of, you know, art, et cetera. But, you know, there's often, like, come and have this experience or that experience. And, and possibly we could use the technology to get the information out and then give them really rich experiences when we can finally go back to being, you know, meeting face to face. 
And measuring those experiences, I think, is key. I mean, it's good to have that, but I think it's also, again, I'm always going to go back to data because it's not, in times like this, this is when companies want to see the data. That's right. They're making their decisions. Mm. If it's not measured, then it didn't happen. So therefore, what's the value of the function? Mm. It's not like being in sales or revenue, pretty clear, marketing. Yeah. So L&D really has to, the function itself, hopefully people have learned out of this pandemic that you have to be data-driven, you have to be performance outcome-based, yes. and you have to be aligned to business needs. And to your point, not just go up with your with your little notebook and just take orders from a business. Um, and the other thing I've noticed too, which is interesting, is I think from my experience is pushing the boundaries on the business in terms of what is business critical. Because I know many companies have had to get down the brass tacks. What is actually business critical? And people have struggled to identify mm-hmm. what's critical. Yeah. And then you have a list of 100, and then they cut it down by about five. (laughs) No, it's really only three things on this list of 100 that are core. Like if you don't do these, it will stop this business unit or stop the company. And so what I've observed through this time too is that even the business sometimes don't know what is business critical so that we can help you focus on those things. And then that helps learning and development, again, focus on business needs rather than all the stuff we'd love to have and we'd love to do what we need to do. And if you get to that, I think one, um, you've gone a long way in terms of not becoming, you know, you know, kind of moderating this idea that learning and development is an order taker. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's interesting, I've seen with, um, and I love like nature analogies, it's, and I've noticed in our own business, but also other businesses that have struggled through this time, and also within you know, internal L&D teams, it's actually the seeds we had sown before that grew through or died in the pandemic. So I think if you hadn't sown your seeds well prior, and then it's just too late. Like for some people, it's just too late. And that, that analogy sits across internal and external. It's quite interesting. I think the ones that yeah. will thrive. Will, yeah, I agree. And I've seen that as well in our own business. It's being able, you know, all the hard work in terms of laying the foundation. And, you know, I look at, you know, oftentimes people just think about the digitalization of content. But there's also, you have to look at your processes, you have to look at your people, and you have to look at your tech stack. It's not just a one thing that you have to look at to enrich that soil that you're planting the seed so that it can grow. And I think if you have those three things in place, I think it will yield some amazing fruit, which is what I can say I've seen, at least from my point of view, in certain companies, certainly in our own. And it's a lesson. You know, we talked earlier about what lessons, what what worked well, what didn't work well. This is what works well. Don't wait for a crisis. (laughs) That won't work well for anyone. I mean, we've seen industries and categories of industries decimated through this pandemic because they weren't ready. Mm. Do you think we'll see, this is not a question we're sort of talking about, but the rise of the entrepreneurs who will take up, come in. Like, so I'm thinking about aviation, for example, and like 
will there be an entrepreneur that comes in and to New Zealand and, and says, we'll pick up that piece in the restaurant businesses and will the entrepreneurs rise up and, and maybe come into that space? I don't know. I think so. You think about just here in New Zealand, the government has created a COVID-19 innovation acceleration fund. So people can tap into that fund to create, I mean, you know, the focus would be coming up with other technology to help with the COVID-19 or uh, immunization or something like that. But I absolutely do think that you'll have these entrepreneurs springing up, which as I said earlier, with the previous recessions, that's what you see. You see the, the innovation just um, blowing up because why? They're targeting a problem. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Like L&D people should be. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so what about teams? Like, What do you think the L&D teams will look like? Because I think they're going to be quite different. What are your thoughts around different the team structure, what they'll be doing? I think, to your point, I'll go back to, there's several things. One, performance consulting to help businesses really identify what's critical. Um, and maybe it's what's business critical, what's important for operations, and then what's important for business continuity. Maybe there's, there's three parts to that, but certainly whatever is business critical, I think so performance consulting will be key. It has always been key, but now, hopefully, companies are saying that it's even more important. And I think having people who are data-driven, so instead of just focusing on getting a bunch of L&D people who understand adult learning theory, I think what I would see and what I would think about in the future is getting people who understand performance consulting, who understand data analytics. Mm-hmm and measurement who are digitally astute as well. So not just looking at people who can design and deliver content, but who understand how to code, design code, whether it's apps or code experiences into the design. So that to your point earlier about creating more of an experiential opportunity if you're whether you're doing it virtually or whether you're in the classroom so those would be in terms of like talent and skills that's what I think the future of learning and development should look like mm. I think there's going to be an argument for whether you know you should centralize decentralize or have a hybrid structure for learning and development I think is definitely going to be industry dependent mm. I would challenge a company to maintain a decentralized function coming out of something like this because of the cost. Yes. Duplication and triplication of effort when you, when you have this disparate training people and learning and development people all over a company and the expenditures across the company that coming out of something like this, I would say that you would need more of a centralized function mm-hmm. to kind of get your cost under control and to get your consistency, establish a strong business continuity, establish a strong ecosystem. And then maybe down the road, when you see more growth in your company, you might decide let's go for a hybrid structure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Centralized. But I think it's going to be industry dependent in terms of what that learning structure would be like. But definitely in terms of the talent, performance consulting, data analytics and measurement and digital acuity. For mm, sure. Yeah. 
So what do you think about the agile mindset? There's been a bit of a, there's a, this whole thing about agile and I, I was always like you, you know, roll your eyes about agile, but, <laughs> but I will say though, I, I've become a bit of a convert because I, I listened to um, a podcast, uh, David James's learning and development podcast with the mm. Tracy Waters man. Oh man, what a difference that made to, to what they were doing and what they were delivering. Um, do you think that will become a thing that allows them to deliver in the flow of work that allows them to mm. really solve problems or not a thing? It's kind of interesting. Uh, again, I think it goes back to the structure of the company and the industry. I feel like a lot of legacy companies aren't very agile. Mm. I think they try. And I think you really would have to do something pretty drastic to change the mind because I feel like agile is a mindset. It is. I, yeah. Agree. You like can't come in there and train someone to be agile. I mean, you can share principles, but I feel like it needs to be going back to nature and planting things. It has to be cultivated. Yes. It has to be nourished. It can't be, okay, guys, here's your two day training on agile. And then we hope that it all works out. You know, you hope that you yield the fruits of what agile is meant to do, which is meant to change your mindset and that you're able to pivot like this crisis. Yes. I feel like companies have had to pivot and the ones that haven't clearly weren't so agile. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I, don't get me wrong. I like the concept. It's just that you think about pre-COVID, how many companies are trying to implement agile. Yes. Mining, look across globally and yeah. how it's quite a struggle. Yes. Because just it, plant the seed and nurture it. Yes, yes. And, and that was in the podcast. I've done a lot of reading around that particular case study, Sky TV in the UK. She took it very slowly. They started off with an experiment and it was under the radar and it was, she co-created that mindset with, with her team. Mm-hmm. It was very good. And I thought that was quite a nice example. I've become a bit of a fan of it. So, yeah. I think if you tied some kind of performance metrics around it, it would help. It would be more like a forcing function. Mm. You know, like behavioral values for performance, you know, you want someone to be innovative, you want people to be inspiring leaders or whatever the behavioral based, the how behaviors of companies have for their leaders, maybe something like that would be, you know, being agile. This is mm. what that what we need to see to get people more on that journey. If you just put up some flyers and give people training, I'm not so sure it's going to it's going to take, yeah, it was a bit of a bandwagon. It's a bandwagon of, as you say, two day training workshops, then off you go, you're done. So no, I think that needs quite strong internal leadership and on that, if that's where it's going to go, which is, I think what she did. So yeah, I was just interested in your thoughts on that. What I guess sort of to sort of wrap up, because obviously technology is driven, has driven a lot of this. Um, And and I've got a bit of a view that possibly this might be the the beginning of the end for SCORM files and LMSs. Really? <laughs> I, I, I do think this. I think it's going to force us into, you know, technology that supports in the flow of work rather than sitting somewhere external that, that is, you know, resources delivered by what's actually happening in business, other business systems. You know, I'm a manager and I'm going to, I put in a hire request and then some that then is linked up to a resource and then gets delivered to me or here's my recruitment checklist as I need it. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts about what technology is going to look like next? To your point, I do believe that in order to implement this in the flow of work 
process? Because a lot of people think when you say digital learning, most people go to its technology. When the real definition is, Josh Burson would say, it's learning in the flow of work. Mm-hmm. Right? That's digital learning. Yes. So like, and the example would be how we use our phones. You know, if you want to go somewhere, you put in that address in your phone and you go. If you want to change your mind, you could actually talk to Siri and tell it changes mind or, or something like that. That's in the flow. Or if instead of, you know, having to go to a particular facility to do your your online module or your class, you can go do it in the park, especially in lockdown, <laughs> which is what you've seen happen. Kids, whether they're doing homework, they don't have to be in their room. They could be sitting outside. They could be sitting in a park. And, and I've seen that already during our lockdown, that that's what in the flow is. Yes. You don't have to go to a particular brick and mortar facility to get the information to do your job. So I think that there will be more cloud-based technology that will allow companies to introduce learning in the flow of work. Also, it has to be back to getting the right people in the structure. You have to be able to design content that is device agnostic so that you can get and deliver learning in the flow of work. Mm -hmm. It also should be personalized. It also should be, you know, I'm going in for a meeting with Rustica and something pops up. Did you know? That's right. Exactly. Something like what Apple does so well is I can go downstairs and get sit in my car right now and what will pop up is my location for my headquarters address and tell me how long it will take to get there. Just somehow knowing that how do they know I'm going to go there? <laughs> but the point is, that's what happens. It's in the flow of my daily life. I get these notifications and I think learning should be the same way. So do I. I just, that is just the dream and my vision that that's the case, but I just don't know if the tech is there yet. And that's what I'm saying about the whole LMS is that that is so far from what we've just talked about in right. the flow. So but I think it's there, Rustica. I feel like part of the challenge, I'm just talking to one of my colleagues the other day about how when you think about what I was just talking about, about our phones, our phones notify us, give us clues. Hey, why have you been sitting around for two hours? Get up and go for a walk. I mean, all kinds breathe, of... Breathe, breathe. Right. You get all the time. Like, it's data. I get it. It's algorithms that have figured out your patterns and all that stuff. I feel like the technology is there. How do you transfer yes. the technology into the learning space yes. and deliver the same experience or similar experience? So I feel like it's there. Is that it's for some reason we don't use or don't feel like we can use the same technology we use for customers with employees. And you think about when most people cross the thresholds of their companies, it's almost like, you're in an analog world. You go from super digital at home with, I mean, I've got four devices right now surrounding me yeah. to walk across the threshold and only one works. Or you don't get the same kind of experience with your learning. You've got to log in, download your information or access it through your single sign-on or whatever the case may be. Now, don't get me wrong, there's going to be some security provisions, but the same thing applies to you as a customer of these devices. 
Mm -hmm. security, privacy, all those same things are in place. So I feel like what's missing is the due diligence to close the loop between what we use as customers and what companies use for their customers. I mean, they have all kinds of fancy stuff for customers, ordering coffee, I mean, looking up your points, looking up your changing your ticket, travel, whatever, but we don't have the same thing for our employees. So the big question is, why do you think it is? I think, again, I think learning and development hasn't been looked at as a strategic asset or business continuity. So therefore, they haven't drawn the correlation between how that could help improve not just individuals' performance, but how it could improve the company's performance Mm. and being able to introduce learning in the flow of work. You know, think about all the cost. I mean, the cost you could save with infrastructure in terms of property and infrastructure, the time to productivity or time to proficiency mm-hmm. for employees that's saving business costs, the ability to be able to answer questions, an employee to get information they need to do their job in the moment rather than stopping, putting a customer on hold for 20 minutes. And this all impacts customer the customer experience, the net promoter score for a company. So you can draw that correlation to business impact. And I don't think that's been done. Mm. No one, I think you give me an idea about an article I should write right about now. And <laughs> Good. <laughs> how do you close the gap between the technology we use for customers and the technology we use for employees? That's right. To me, that's a design thinking and not design thinking in that trendy like agile thinking but like product knowledge for example I still see people doing SCORM files for product knowledge and I'm going why are you doing that (laughs) (laughs) that is ridiculous when you go to no leaming and they you ask them and they pull out their phone there it is so it's like to me because you're going to pay the time and effort that goes into making a SCORM file that same budgetary and time for Mm. dollars and time could be thinking about things differently and I just hope we don't all, L&D doesn't go back to how it was before. Like the rubber band's gone like this. And I just, this a beautiful golden opportunity, as you said, the silver lining that we talked about. Oh my goodness. You better write that article. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing it down because I think you're, you're on to something about that, about why is it, so that's the question asking, why is it we have yet to use the same or similar technology we use to enhance the customer experience to enhance our employee experience by introducing learning into the of work, mm. something like that. Yeah. I like it. Thank Absolutely. you. Well, that's, no, you're welcome. I look forward to reading it. <laughs> and I'll be thinking okay. about it too. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think most companies struggle with it. I mean, have you heard of a company that's using the same, well, Apple. Apple uses the same technology. For instance, like uh, content, they use the same content for the customers that they use for their employees. They don't make two sets of content. Right. Interesting. And deliver yeah. to their phone. Yes. Yeah. Or however. They, I mean, don't get me wrong. They do have an Apple University, but my point is they're not creating, you know, 10 versions of content for the same product. Yes. It's one set of content for mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why you can open up your Apple case when you get a new phone and there are no instructions on how to use it yes exactly that's right like there's no scorn file with navigation instructions and what you need to do it's like no 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 very intuitive and so i think that should be the learning experience right intuitive and the thing is i 
I, I don't understand why employees don't expect that because they get it the other 12 hours of their day that, that they're not sleeping or not at work, that they're actually having that experience, that, that they wouldn't demand or expect that from their onboarding or induction or you know, learning internally in an organisation. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I'm writing. You're writing. That's awesome. Well, I just think that this has been a great conversation to really, really hone yeah. in on the fact. That it's, it's the stuff, what we should be doing next really is the stuff we should have been doing before, but now it's just so much more important. And I love your analogy with, you know, learning for business continuity. I just think that's, I've never heard that before. I think it's really apt and really critical. And I think organisations could take a lot from, viewing their teams like that, but teams should also view themselves like that and and start to sow the seeds now before the next 10-year recession comes, right? <laughs> cool. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Or something. Absolutely. This has been great. Thank you for the opportunity yeah. to be your first experiment. I know. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. And we've probably both got some ideas from each other just even having this lovely chat. No, it's been good. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of those things for us to go when you talk to peers who are in the space and get it. Like you couldn't have this conversation with your marketing guy. <laughs> they, they wouldn't get it, right? Or the CFO. They would not get what we're talking about. And so that, to me, it says a lot about why it's so important for learning and development to be looked at as a strategic asset so that you can talk to your marketing guy or your CFO or your chief strategy guy or whoever, and they'll be like, yeah, I got it. And that, as you say, comes back to data and actually understanding performance and that business acumen that goes with that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I look forward to catching up for a coffee or wine when I'm in Auckland. Absolutely. It'd be great. Please, please do. (laughs) Thank you. If you'd like to get in touch with me to suggest topics or speakers, you can contact me on LinkedIn or Facebook or find the links in the show notes below. Keep on smiling. Smiling.